Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg, Nick Hare and Tom Spence of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing being chuggy. Chris, what in the world is is a chug or being chuggy, I have no idea what this is about. Enlighten me and maybe others, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, the first thing to say is the fact that we are talking about this means that it can't be a, a current term anymore. Um, and right. I believe, in fact, it, it came out of um, a Beverly Hills high school in uh, about 2013. Um, okay, if the, so if the New York pretty Times recently. Pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty recent, yeah. Into, Chris. What's that? It's a scene you're quite plugged into, right? Yeah, oh, quite, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, youth, I, youth I was correspondent Chris you know, Rag. Yeah, <laughs> a mere eight years later, I uh, <laughs> I picked up on the term. Um, but the, it, basically, it's a term that um, is aimed at millennials by Gen Zers, um, which right. kind of labels them as being a bit naff, out of touch, kind of characterizes some of their um social media behaviors as, as kind of trying too hard it's um it's, maybe it's a little bit anti sort of hip hipsterish under the criticism of being obsessed with skin tight um uh, jeans or something skin yeah skinny jeans are are skinny definitely jeans. uh now considered chuggy um mm. and so yeah it's 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 a kind of term that is like just slightly off uh off trend or not even slightly off trend but um, fairly off trend, but thinking that you are still on trend, and also it's about it's about being a bit of a tryhard, and you know perhaps um, curating your own life through the through the means of of social media and and, and so on. Okay. Um, so well, the, that that is the term as as I as I understand it, and it is now it is now you haven't heard of it yet. Well, you you obviously have heard of it because I've just mentioned it to you but but it will it will I suspect in the next six months be be everywhere because it's it's the fact I've heard about it must mean it's yeah. about to become pandemic but I th- and I think what's also good about it is this is the first time I think that um you know the gen gen z really I know that the older ones are like they're in their mid-20s and stuff but you know they're really starting to be in jobs and have careers and doing and saying things and finally, it's fun to have an ally. I think if you're a if you're not if you're not a millennial, it's fun to have an ally at the other end of the spectrum. I completely yeah. agree. No, I, because no, exactly. because the poor old because you know as we all know the millennials don't come in for enough stick. You know they get an easy ride from everyone. So it's, you know it's only fair that we have them being punched from the other side as well. Yeah. Well, I think I think the thing is you know what we can all sit sit back and uh, apart from Tom uh, uh, and. Um, uh, relax about is the fact it's not it's not our war to fight so you know um mm, we can that's watch right it's almost eyes. a kind of divide and conquer strategy mm. um you, you say no, that but i've been trying to revoke my millennial status for as long as possible this I, is, well, so this is interesting data do the, why don't we just for the avoidance of we, doubt tom what generation do you think you are well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on. Before we do that, we need to clarify exactly which generation each of us is. I mean, I know I sound like a raving millennial, but, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not. Um, it's, we, 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 first of all, we need to say, well, what each of us is, okay? Yeah. And second, we, we need to talk about, well, why are we talking about this? Okay? Yeah. Um, so, first of all, I think I'm 
I think I'm in Generation X. Yes, is that? Is oh, that you're, right? you're core, absolutely core Generation X. Yeah, as is as is Chris. I think. But yeah, Chris, Chris is Chris is high. I'd say you're actually, if anything, you're slightly early Generation X, whereas mm. Chris is high Generation X. Chris yeah, is I, Chris is yeah. Breakfast Club era apogee, yeah. Generation X. Yeah, MTV loves yeah. the 80s, hates the 90s. You know. Yeah. Well, I was born 1973. So when were you born, Chris? 75. Right. There we go. So you're about about. Ro- ro- yeah. Right I mean, in there, fact, then. actually, that is technically quite late Generation X. But I think Chris, uh, Chris flowered early. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. My, yeah. My, yeah. My cultural uh, blooming was uh, was was yeah early. And um, uh, Nick, you 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 try and pretend otherwise, but you're a millennial, aren't you? Yeah, well, I'm am de- definitely not um, I'm definitely not a millennial. I don't think by any by any stretch of the definition because I was born in 1977. Um, oh, okay. But I don't really identify with any of the main Generation X things either uh, because I was, you're an individual. I was 13. Well, I'm not. I'll get to that. But I was 13 at the end of the 80s, and and really that disqualifies you from a lot of the things that you're supposed to really characterise. You know, Generation okay. X, all of that mid to late 80s kind of pop culture and film culture which i was aware of and i liked but I, but it wasn't part of my kind of you know identity as a youth um but no i've discovered that i'm a thing called an exennial which is mm. sort of really has a foot in both camps has a some of the cynicism of generation x but but sort of a bit more of the kind of optimism and um technological savvy of the millennials so yeah i, I feel i know that makes sense to me mm. um so and- yeah Tom, uh, time to confess. What are you? Well, I think I'm in a similar sort of position to Nick. Uh, I think technically on paper, if you look at the most commonly used boundaries, I am a millennial. I'd be one of the youngest millennials. Uh, mm. People normally draw the line either 1994 or 96. And mm. I was born in 94. Wow. Um, okay. uh, and I just take a moment to let that sink in. Um, well, that's but, the year I graduated from university. But anyway, go on. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think a bit like Nick, I, you know, culturally, I don't really have very much in common in terms of, you know, touch points with an older millennial who is, you know, probably approaching 40 now. You know, they'll have had very different uh, you know, childhood cultural experiences to me. And again, similarly to Nick, if people think about the 90s and early noughties as defining millennial experience, I was mm. six in mm. 2000. You know, I don't yeah. really remember it very well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I culturally have a lot more in common with the the, the Generation Z below me. So if, if Nick's an Xennial, I'm probably a Zennial. Like it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. But I think just uh, your so that's we've got that out of the way. Hmm. So that's where we're all coming from. But I think what we want to talk about is something we've touched on loads of times and hmm. feel like I think it's good to face head on, which is this issue, the tale as old as time of intergenerational conflict. Hmm. Um, what is it about? What drives it? Is it a genuine thing or is it just a, is it an eternal? Is it the same story every time or is it driven by specifics? You know, is it is it actually is the difference between, you know, Generation X and the millennials? Is that is that, uh, you know, its own unique kind of difference uh, mm. or is it just the same old story? Yeah, you yeah. know, of the, uh, you know, the kind of greatest generation versus the silent generation and the silent generation versus the boomers. Is it just the same, same old story, but with different words or, or is there a genuine difference? <clears throat> and then I think the question of, is there a cyclicality to it, which is also interesting. Interesting. Okay. So are millennials really <laughs> that bad? Um, 
for eons, you know, in eons, well, no, not eons, but for, you know, since the time began, yes. Um, well, I've got a few quotes, actually. Because I remember so I've got, Roman, I've, I've seen quotes of Romans moaning about yeah. the next generation, right? Yeah, so, absolutely so you, right. Yeah, I think, and I think they, you know, they, they, they basically, young people are stupid and old people are boring, and that's what it boils down. So you've got, you know, you Chaucer and the Knight and Squire, um, Francis Bacon, 1625, said, uh, young men are fitter to invent than to judge, fitter for execution than for counsel. Um, but, you know, said men of age object too much, consult too long, adventure too little. So, you know, uh, there's a very good article, actually, from a guy called Randolph Bourne, 1912, um, which I think you, you could you could just substitute any date you liked and it would be perfect. It says uh, in this conflict between youth and its elders, youth is the incarnation of reason pitted against the rigidity of tradition, mm. which I think is a perfect summary. And of course, uh, Alexander Pope, quite a famous quote. We think our father's fools so wise we grow. Our wiser sons, no doubt, will think us so. Yeah. What's it all about? Well, look, I mean, we're, we're, not, we're probably about 10 minutes in. And is this end of podcast? Because it does feel like, you know, this has been going on forever. So there's your answer. Is that it, Chris? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think there's... Um, I, I think the, the sort of cyclicality angle is quite, is quite interesting. Or, or rather, you know, the way it's not just the fact that uh, generations dislike one another, it's why they dislike one another. And I think that does change sort of subtly. Um, and and the, actually, we talk about generations as if it is, you know, um, actually sort of, you know, well, now nowadays, you know, most people would ha have children in their late 20s or early 30s right so that mm. would be the 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 definition of a of a generation today but actually we're talking about micro generations really if you look at if you look at the sort of shifts and the kind of that um animosity between different age groups you know if you look at kind of uh hippies to punks to to new romantics you know mm. idealism to sort of nihilism to, to materialism it, it it happened in you know 10 or 15 years so you felt not, like an eternity it, at the it, time it did, it did feel like an eternity <laughs> at the time yeah uh, but it doesn't um so so we I, I think there's something that is not strictly captured by the idea of of children and their parents railing against their parents it's more in this case this notion of chugi is is not people saying oh my parents are terrible it's saying like my older siblings or you know the the kind of co-workers the co-workers co 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 who i now yeah. see you know maybe seven eight years nine ten years older than me are are really annoying for the following reasons so i think that's what we're getting at rather than necessarily this you know this more historic generational um uh kind of factor and i and i feel like yeah, that's that's something which is just more manifest now because there are so there are so many more ways to um, kind of display and uh, create a record of mm. your your behaviour through. So you're saying that there's been a kind of a, a slipping in the in the scales, as it were, um, and and so yeah, as you say, it's no longer looking at those above me or further in. It's, it's as you say, it's my co-workers. Yeah, um, but, but yes. I think it's interesting that Chris is using culture, which I think is a key. Is that's something I think we need to talk about <clears throat> as a as a sort of something defining about a generation here. And and if that's true, 
then you could I think you could make a very plausible argument that culture has sped up in the sense that, you know, the, the, the amount of change in the type of entertainment and art produced um, it seems to be faster now than it was, say, 100 years ago. Mm. Um, simply because of the speed with which it could be transmitted and, you know, cultures can grow around those things. Um, so so, so I, I think, yeah, that's an interesting uh, theory. It feels like it sort of fits in well with the idea that there's been a kind of acceleration in, in, in the, the rate of cu culture change, you know. Yeah, so I there's more know. reasons to be more quickly... Um, well, let's get. I want to get Tom's view because yeah, I feel we like need to hear I'm, from Tom. I'm a bit out well, of it all, really. So, uh, I was going to just build on your point, Nick, about it being a cultural thing. But a lot of sociologists have also uh, taken account with that by pointing out that effectively culture isn't one thing. There are a lot of components that make up culture. So, if you look at, for example, like a, a political generation, as it were that might not line up with the, the boundaries that you apply to a, mm. you know, a literary generation or a musical generation, uh, which I think also goes some way to explaining the kind of the blurred edges that we described earlier. You know, for example, you might have similar politics to the, the generation above you, but, you know, cultural and musical tastes that are more in, in common with the generation below. Um, I'd also note that the the way that generations are defined in sociology. Um, so Chris, you've already touched on the sort of original biological definition of generation, which is simply, you know, parent to child, to child, to child, to child, etc. Um, but since kind of Karl Mannheim, who was one of the, the kind of big sociologists who first started like talking about generations from an academic point of view, they've really been treated more as... Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote here from a paper by uh, Alan Spitzer. Um, so generations are conceived as groups of co-avals, people of roughly the same age whose shared experience significantly distinguishes them from contemporaries in other age groups. So almost by definition, that's baking in generational conflict because mm. you're saying that the reason we're thinking about these people is because they disagree with these people. Yeah. So it kind of presupposes... That there will it's an be organizing principle in itself so yeah yeah okay so in a way observing that there is generational conflict becomes meaningless because you've basically yeah. defined them on that. yeah I mean, but i think i mean i think the the problem the, the thing and then we've done we did one before about decades we've done a podcast about whether or not decades make sense as a way of sort of grouping together mm. um th events and things uh I, I think here, you know, it's, it is hard to come up with some defining. I mean, uh, you know, <clears throat> I say it's hard because I've tried and I haven't really found anything convincing um, that, you know, that really sort of categorically says, yes, that, you know, this ends in on September the uh, 3rd, 1996. You know, the the millennial, the last millennial was born. And then then the very next day is Gen Z. Yeah, it's nothing like that. But the fact that. Um, categories are blurry doesn't mean they're not meaningful and I, I think I feel like it's it and it it really does feel quite meaningful to me that there is uh you know a kind of shared uh, a, a shared um a set of something like values that you have with people who are born around the same time as you whether or not that is just a, a you know something to do with shared experiences or whether or not it's you know obviously societal values change over time the things that people sort of think we ought what society ought to be like gradually changes over time um and whether or not that's uh 
you know that it, it it's that rather than the simple sharing like it's it's not just well we're born around the same time so therefore we'll we'll be in the same generation but also actually there's quite a lot we agree on as well quite a lot of values that we have in common um because when i i now so that seemed plausible to me but actually as far as i can tell there's not a great deal of evidence for it that actually the, the the variance between individuals certainly but also between individuals at different stages in their lives exceeds the variance between people's attitudes at any given time you know when you look at age as a as a defining uh, as a sort of explanatory characteristic so in other words the difference between me and a 60 year old now and it will be dominated by the differences between people who are my age and 60 year olds you know there's yeah. such variance in that population but also uh, that will be less significant than the difference between what me and that 60 year old think in 30 years and and you know what we thought 30 years ago as far as i can tell so so uh, I, I suppose in summary what i'm saying is generations feel incredibly meaningful to me like it definitely feels like a meaningful thing the distinction between generation x and millennials uh and certainly boomers you know they, they just feel like different things but it's very hard to pin that down to okay well a boomer is someone who thinks like this and a, and millennials think like this because actually you can find you know the overlap is so strong yeah so I what guess. is it what is it that makes us different from one another from other people of different ages well whether it's what what makes us different or when you see I, I've got a bit of a theory that um, that it is essentially the the point at which you get a change is essentially the point at which um, the the sort of the trendiest generation so the people in their in their sort of late teens let's say suddenly realize they don't want to they don't want to be associated with what's gone before them and so there's a there's like a shift you know you get a, a, I don't want I'm going to use the phrase paradigm shift right but um, but you get a shift in um, like their attitudes towards what's gone before them and I, I think that is quite measurable or, or, or I certainly think there are signals of it right so I, one of the things that got me thinking about this was that um, the whole skinny jeans thing right so to, mm. to be chuggy is to wear skinny jeans right and there are lots of um that's that's a kind of an outward visible manifestation of of um your your values in a way what you wear kind of associate you know often in in um teenage subculture what you wear tells you what your your values are so i thought well this is quite an interesting indicator and um you know the other one the, the other sort of obvious thing is um skirt length has has been used as a sort of cyclical measure and in fact you know in in financial circles there is the you know the skirt length theory mm. uh which is is um you know not entirely dismissed but but generally not uh, not adhered to which is that um you know skirt length is an indicator of of economic output in some way or or economic optimism and when skirt lengths are higher you know the market is going to do better and when skirt lengths drop there could be a, a, a crash coming not necessarily borne out by historic uh, data but i think but fun does, nonetheless fun nonetheless exactly but i do think skirt length and uh trouser width tightness are, tightness yeah, yeah are, are like good visible indicators of when that that change happens and i was looking yeah. at a bit, a bit a bit of data on um on skirt length in particular and in between uh the 30s and the 40s 
there were, and, and there's actually sort of quite good data to show the cyclical nature of, of um, skirt length changes. But um, there were there were sort of seven oscillate or, or seven fluctuations um, I, I, over that period, which is kind of like every six or so years, you know, a, a change in visible signaling of what's what's going mm. on and i and i tried to do the same with trousers from my own knowledge of trouser type trouser expertise uh, of, yeah of, yeah well i started out as a boy when i was five i wore i wore uh flared cords uh, so it sounds like the start of a poem ooh, but keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is great um and then and then quickly went into drain pipes but the then seven we had, ages of trousers seven ages of trousers <laughs> then we had baggies when i was sort of in my tens eleven that's true uh and then, then there was sort of this mid, mid-size kind of the Nick Cayman, you know, Levi's um, uh, sort of sort of period. And mm. then, you know, at some point it went skinny, and now it's gone baggy again. This is the summer that skinny jeans will be chucked in the bin. That's I've really noticed, interesting. That so, so, time. so you're, what we're saying is we're at the end of a of a generation now. Generation Z is is coming to an end, and and with it the trouser. Yes, tightness. Or so it, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, well, it could be. Well, it's interesting you mentioned skinny jeans because I, I was there at the beginning of of the hate of the hate for skinny jeans, which was in the early two thousands. There was a guy I won't even name him. I do know his name, but it, but he because I, I felt so sorry for him. He was one of the early victims of kind of internet uh, internet mobs. Um, Whose uh, his dad worked for the Guardian, and and he got basically got given a free travel blog by the Guardian, mm-hmm. and he and everyone took the piss out of him. Do you remember? Na- do you remember Na- Nathan Barley? Everyone was saying he was basically a living embodiment of Nathan Barley. It was a character that Charlie Brooker came up with, um, right. and uh, he was supposed to be the embodiment of a kind of new media skinny jeans wearing you know uh um uh, co- co- sort of coffee drinking kind of uh wanker and um mm. and this guy came along at the right time because he really did seem exactly like a real life embodiment of that but i remember everyone was talking about skinny jeans like oh he probably wears skinny jeans so and that would have been that would have been the sort of first visible sign of of millennials wearing skinny jeans and now we're right at the other end where generation yeah. z are taking the piss out of exactly uh, millennials that's, the, that's wearing... the changeover isn't it yeah. it's when it's when the generation above the generation that's doing something you know mocks them to begin with but then they're the ones who are mocked, and then when the mocking comes from the other direction, that's when you know it's uh, it's the game's it's, up. The game's, game's up. up. Yeah. Um, so I, I just I, I see. I think this kind of theory is really interesting. So what we're saying is, there's it doesn't matter what it is, whatever it is, people eventually will get bored of it, and have to move on to something else. Or if you like, there's only a certain amount of space for a cultural phenomenon, and once that space has been totally used up people have to move on to something else i was thinking about it in the context of thing something like the dunbar number where you know you you can have people who join together in some cultural sense um uh, but that that can only sustain a certain number of people you know and once it's full once a cultural phenomenon is full of people mm. uh you know that they're, they're they're actually you know it's it, it becomes harder to enter it's there's too many people or it's too mainstream for that even to be meaningful and you have to start a new thing and and i wondered if that might be something to do with it because a model like that would give you this kind of cyclical behavior of well a new thing comes along everyone piles into it it gets so big that it's no longer feasible effectively to join and so a new one has to come along but i did i i was i've been quite interested in this uh other sort of, if you like, real cycles. Um, mm. 
in generations <clears throat> the idea of of there being and it's something i think we touched on before about about the idea of uh you know if you look at conflicts there's this really quite striking pattern which could be totally coincident uh, coincidental but but if you look for the last you know over the last sort of uh, well i suppose since the beginning of the modern era um you you have uh, large conflicts you know roughly every sort of 50 to 100 years you've got the 30 years war the first really big you know conflict certainly in europe um in terms of death toll then you have the uh the, the war of the spanish succession about you know 70 years later then you have the seven years war 40 years later the napoleonic wars 50 years after that then you have um the american civil war 50 60 years after that and the typing rebellion and then of course the world wars we're kind of overdue on this model um worryingly but uh the the, the sort of real element of that would be something like well people who've lived through a conflict know how bad it is and do their best to avoid it but once you've had 50 years of peace everyone forgets mm. you know forgets actually that that uh, conflict's bad and you end up blundering into another one and the cycle resets itself um and and i, I suppose in because sort of, there's so there's this great theory i don't think it's i think it's totally untestable but i i really like it called the the how strauss generations theory which says that that 80 year cycle which they posit is real is actually split up into these four turnings and um and and those four turnings go you have a high where you know the uh culture is outward focused and um sort of performing well and everyone's kind of happy mm. then you have what's called an awakening where people start to question uh you know the the kind of authority of all the legitimacy of that whole system so so let's take the high in the us being the kind of 1950s you know economic boom 50s 60s the awakening being you know the the hippie era um yeah and and then you have um an unraveling where you know the the which is inward sort of focused and 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 where the parts of that culture get kind of taken apart um and and undermined and then finally you have a crisis uh, and and the crisis is where everything is smashed and then rebuilt and then the next thing you get is another high and i don't i i don't think this can really consistently be be applied it's very hard to apply it to the uk lots of things look like crises you could probably fit that to any particular story but one of the things i like about it is the the fact that they sort of say your upbringing the era you were brought up in um sort of more or less determines your attitude through all of those subsequent eras the idea being that so if you're uh, if you're generation x for example you would under this argument have been born in a uh, in an unraveling um and grown up in an unraveling uh which which means that you then sort of come of age uh as a as a sort of adult in a crisis era um so this would be uh, I guess you guys uh, theoretically, this would be the crisis. Then you get a, then you get to you know midlife uh, during the the high and the and the awakening. But the idea is that you you know if you, depending on the kind of era you're brought up in, that has a formative uh, influence on things like how conformist you are, you know how sheltered you are, how um, creative you are. And I quite like that idea. I think it was quite fun. Um, but they, yeah, I mean, one of the things I, one of the things I was thinking about is that actually all of the stuff that we associate with being the culture of an era are usually produced by people from the previous generation. So if you think about, um, uh, you know, the, all of the hippie stuff, all of the mm. things that we associate with boomers, well, they were all produced by the silent generation. Bob Dylan was born in what, 1940? 
you know, Martin Luther King, 1920s, I think, 1930s. All of those key figures that we associate with that era were not actually boomers. The boomers enjoyed it all and got involved, but they didn't lead it. And, you know, the films of the uh, 80s were were made by um you know boomers and you know the the, mu- the music well it's like bill haley how old was bill haley he was in his 40s, 40s or something right yeah. i mean However, nick yeah. do you not say that now you know z generation z uh, are making up more and more of the contemporary uh cultural scene if you look at like the ages but who of runs youtube who runs youtube and tiktok uh, so, but are we talking about the platform or the actual people who make the content? Like who? Because you know, if you say Bob Dylan, like it was Bob Dylan who made the songs, right? Whereas, you know, his his label were probably older than him, sure. But you know, the actual people who have the cultural weight now, would you say they align more with the actual generation that they influence? I, I, unfortunately, I'm just I'm going to expose my ignorance here, and so I don't know who they are. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I don't know who the big sort of influencers are, really. Do you, do you know or are you out of it now? What with you being a kind of... Well, I, you know, I wouldn't want to... I think I know, but I wouldn't want to say names in case I embarrass myself. Go on, have a stab. But, for example, if you look at, like, you know... For example, Billie Eilish is definitely Gen Z, right? I think she's... Right. Like, 18 or 19. Like 18, 19, yeah. yeah. You know, and she's obviously one of the kind of you know, biggest kind of pop stars that's emerged in recent years and similarly if you look at go back a sort of a decade or so to look at like you know when Katy Perry and Lady Gaga were topping the charts all the time they were solidly of millennial age right and they were influencing millennials so I think that that mismatch that you're describing has disappeared somewhat as you know younger people essentially make it into more influential cultural roles yeah, I wonder if we'll look back and say that the key influencers were the con- content creators or the people running the algorithms, though. I mean, I just I sort of wonder if the, the kind of defining experience of the last 10 years has been, let's say, something like content, you know, user created content. Yeah. And again, and, I, and, I want and the people who the people who decided it was going to be user generated content that Gen Z are enjoying are all millennials and, you know, late, late Gen X. I mean, I, I wonder the extent to which history is written by the old, boring people. So actually, if you were genuinely, if you're genuinely been a hippie, maybe you thought Bob Dylan was a bit naff. You know, may, maybe there were some other people who we, we aren't aware of. Just like people looking back on today might say, oh yeah, you know, the, the real people influencing youth were Mark Zuckerberg and, and Elon Musk. And mm. everybody's like, no, they no, they weren't. But that somehow gets written into the history because it's people like us who look back and go, oh, what can we find in the historical record? Oh, these people looked important. I bet they were really influential. Um, and guys, I think that, oh, sorry. Wait, wait, sorry, Tom, because um, we need to finish pretty shortly. Um, I'm not, I think, I think we've got somewhere. Um, I don't think there's, I don't know if there's something to draw it all together. Um, but oh, well, I've got, I've got a question we can ask. Brilliant. Well, we'll I've come got on a to data that. point of view. Okay. I want, yeah, I want well, to hear from data I want to hear the from, data. No, no. Well, I want to hear from Tom, and then I want to hear this uh, this question. Uh, go for it, Tom. 
Well, um, so what I was going to say, I was going to complain about the four turnings theory, but instead I'll, I'll talk about my, my data request. Um, yeah, there's probably no need because I think what we're saying is that it's, it's unfalsifiable and probably nonsense. I yeah. just really like it. It's just that people, people just like categorize things as crises to make because it, it fit. fit. And yes, then they're like, exactly. no, no, First World War, no, that doesn't count as a crisis. Yeah, that was a hide. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, what I would really like to see is we've talked about, you know, the very vague boundaries of generations and whether it's cultural, whether it's values based, all sorts. What I would like to see is uh, you know, a data set encompassing, let's say, survey results, right, of people of all ages, like a snapshot, people of, you know, everyone in the country at a moment in time that has things like their cultural tastes, their, their values, all sorts, um, to which you could then do some analysis you could do for example a clustering analysis to see if you do get distinct clusters are there like different groups of people with values and then are mm. those based on age you know, well, do, the, or, the, or actually the continuous it, attitude survey which you could probably uh, run, yeah. run a rule over and, and unfortunately you know, it's it's yeah even then what you really want is a cohort sort of based approach where we've got 50 or 100 years of that data so that we can separate age effects which yeah. from generation effects because you know it might be oh, we talked we've done done a podcast previously about you know why people are, are people more right-wing as they get older and you have to distinguish the you know the time you're born versus the age you are i'm not um, sure that matters though nick because inherently people who are in their 40s were all born around the same time so I suppose what I mean is the same as generational. Effects? Let's say that we 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 can we find a meaningful difference between. Um, oh, I see what you mean. So is there are there are there can we is there, are there joints at which we can cut generations even within a certain? Uh, is there some significant difference between twenty five year olds and thirty five year olds, which isn't yeah. true of thirty five to forty five or something like that? Exactly. Yeah. So or so I think from what I'm groups from of people I, with different values, but they actually have nothing to do with their ages. It could be to do with their you know the social status or their geographic origin or anything like that i mean i like think that. some from what i've seen it is more the latter like actually that's that's the troubling thing about generation theory is that it there aren't really you know really significant cutoffs which is annoying and feels counterintuitive we and on that point we need to draw that discussion to a close um nick what's your question right so let's 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 run with the idea that we're both on the trousers theory mm. and on the four turnings theory that we're at some significant point of you know with the generation Z is probably coming to an end and we've got a new generation coming up. Mm. What are they going to be? What are they going to think? So what let's, are they let's be called. Oh well, is that question right? Well, it would have to be generation. We've run out of uh, letters. Omega. So this is what. So sorry. What the, qu the question is: What comes next after generation? What, do, what the, generation Z? We, we, it should probably be generation that, AA if we're going by. XL yeah, generation double A. Isn't it um, out there? I've already seen stuff because I think, I think people have talked be, about generation Alpha. Because this will be our kids, won't it? Is that right? Well, uh, no. I mean, my kids are kind of generation Z, really. Okay. Well, mine must be as well then. Um, no, I'm talking about people who are like very little now. Okay, who are just sort of, you know, so we think the people who are coming after Generation Z. Well, hold on. So what, so our kids, sorry, you said our kids are Generation Z already. Um, and Generation Z are meant to be going to be even more um, technologically savvy growing up 
is, I mean, well, I can't okay, remember what I mean, people So we're talking about, about we're talking about I people know, we're, born in from the late nineties to quite recently, from say right. f- five years ago or something. So we've got a new generation. I'm just, yeah. I'm just asking for for completely unfounded speculation about what we think their kind of values are going to be like. I've got, um, I've got some potential answers, but I don't want to, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, let's start off uh, with Chris. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, my, my, the, the, the optimist in me uh thinks that that they will they will reject the current um ubiquity of of technology or or Mm. certainly of social media that there will be you know a a sense that this is ridiculous recording everything is both pointless and damaging to oneself so let's not not do that that's what that's what the optimist in me hopes for Mm. Mm. okay we won't go on to the pessimist um tom i i think you'll see a similar kind of thing to gen x to millennial because i think gen z are often characterized as very cynical Mm. and i reckon the generation that follows them will kind of react to that and be kind of more more earnest as it were Mm. Um, whether that's a good thing or not I'll, I'll let you decide yeah I've decided um, Nick yeah so I was trying to think of what what are the pervasive phenomena that we have now if you think about say the boomers sort of coming of age in the late 50s and early 60s uh, and and seeing social conformity and railing against it I'm, I, I sort of imagine people who are you know uh, young now very young now We'll see things like, you know, political polarisation, culture wars, um, the politicisation of the personal and of, you know, the prevalence of social media everywhere, as Chris says, but also a kind of moral censoriousness that uh, is around now. And I suspect, yeah, uh, so I I think we might see something more like the kind of late 19th century Edwardian sort of um, sort of slightly kind of consensual, a bit of rejection of traditional politics. transgressive being deliberately kind of pushing at boundaries instead of trying to conform within them um and uh and i think like chris i i, I would like to see what uh, rejection of technology would look like you know mm. the, the idea that oh god you know G- generation z or, or whatever are always on their phones uh tweeting about things but we 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 live life you know we like to everyone leaves their phones at home when they go out of an evening because um you know, because it's considered really naff to, to be in contact with people and stuff. Could be quite an interesting mm. trend to watch for. It'd be interesting for listeners 20 years hence, listening back mm. to this and go, God, those guys were so wrong. Or, yeah. Well, they won't be able to listen to it because it'll, be it'll be on the internet and everyone will have forgotten what that is. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. All right, uh, we'll stop there. Um, as always, thanks for listening. If you've got any thoughts or suggestions for topics, you can email us at podcast at We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, what should people do, Nick? Uh, yep, tap that like button. I can't think, I didn't think, I haven't got a thematic thing. Has anyone got a thematic? I thought you would be good for this one. Nick, no, somehow. I hadn't thought about this, to be honest. Um, do you want to have a go, Tom? What should people do? Uh, like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think they the should earnest. sneeringly, ironically yeah. um, sort of eschew the like button or something like that. <laughs> All right, um, we'll stop there. Thanks as always for listening. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Tom Spence, Chris Rag, and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.